Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm on coffee number three. Dude, you are turnt. Holy cow, I had two cups of pour. So I just spent um, nine days, basically, in on the Colorado Trail. And uh, all of our coffee, well, all the guests' coffee was press. <laughs> so no one was making coffee presses every morning just on repeat. And then we finally ran out of the grounds for the press. And so the last two days, or the last day, rather, was... Just some Nescafe instant, a throwback oh. to my Baja Divide days. Uh, no, you're wrong. Everyone loved the Nescafe. It's all per- like no. I sound like a bre- broken record because it's perspective, but your balls stink. You haven't had a shower in a week. You've been living in a tent, which, albeit a super nice tent, I mean, he's glamping. Uh, hot caffeinated water of any variety. I, I hear you, but there's a reason that <laughs> 75 to 85 percent of all coffee drank south of the U.S. border, in all of Latin and South America, is Nescafe Instant. Like that's what they drink is instant down there. They ship out the Coffee Belt ships out its best coffee across the world, and then they keep the and Nescafe. they drink Nescafe Instant. And I tell you, the Baja Divide fixed it for me. I, I can drink Nescafe Instant with dirty water in a bike bottle with remnants of carborocket in it and enjoy the crap out of it. <laughs> so these guys had at least, they each got um, a camping cup as part of their like welcome pack. And uh, also I didn't have to have disposable cups, obviously. Right. But they had a, they got a camping cup with a Dawn to Dust sticker on it. And then, you know, I had oat milk and uh, and nice good Fairlife milk for it. So it, dude, it tastes amazing. I'm sure. Um, I, I'm picking up. Now, they, they don't know this. And now I'm about to tell you in, in the world at large, but... No, every morning I, I drank from my espresso machine in the van. So I didn't leave the van until I'd already made and drank all of my espresso. Look, man, you were the ride leader. If your brain ain't right, like... So I'm talking about... <laughs> like one guy know, knocked on the People's van. lives are on the line here. <laughs> he knocked on the door. He's like, what are you doing? And then I go, I'm taking 10 minutes to get right to give you 12 hours. Yeah. No, and I think I, I, I because I have been the guy in the van... I think there really needs to be like a don't knock on the door of the van rule. Yeah, you don't like if you if yeah. you're in a group, right? So I know it, but I've watched when we were at Austin Rattler last year and we were pre-riding and we got separated and you were kind of in between two groups of people and you got upset. And it was in the whole scope of a four day trip, it was twenty minutes, right? You mm-hmm. just need to be pissed off. Yeah. And I think it was Colin, uh Colin Donovan like wanted to talk to you and you like went in the van and he was like following you to the van. <laughs> like, This is not the, just let the man be. <laughs> just give me 20 minutes. <laughs> like, just let me be pissed. Let me just get squared away <laughs> and then I'll be good. <laughs> but if you interrupt that squared away moment. Now, um, now my, now my anger has a focus. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. human yeah. focus. And you know, you were nothing to do with it, Yeah. but boy, oh boy, you just got real convenient. <laughs> So, so anyway, guys, I, don't knock on people's van doors when no, they're having private time. No, if the door is shut, it's it, they did it on purpose. The yeah. wind didn't blow. There is no van sliding door <laughs> on the planet that the wind can blow shut. Like yeah. they just don't work that no. way. So no. the door was purposefully shut. Yeah, that man might be in there, stark naked, doing all sorts of things, baby wiping himself post ride. Yep. He might be just simply just eating food. He yeah. might be crying. You don't know. Yeah. But just the door is shut. Just assume the worst and don't knock. So I got to make a pour over this morning for the first time in like a week and a half. 
um, and it was super satisfying. And then we were about to start this podcast, and I was like, "No, let's go to Starbucks." We need, we, we, we need more. We a we needed our time, and b we needed more. Mm-hmm. And so uh, by the end of this episode, I'm going to be talking like Eminem and like in rap God, right. like the little like middle <laughs> that middle like yep. two minute rant yep. rap where he doesn't even take a breath. Yeah, that's me at the end of this episode, which is going to include. We got a lot. We're gonna yeah. we're, we're mushing stuff together. So go for it. What give us the hit list of what, well, what they can plan for in this. So I want a real quick you just did something really cool and I want you to be able to just chat about that for a second. So yep. I want you to talk for a second about Colorado Trail. Um we're gonna talk about uh bike fit. We went and got bike fits uh with Scott at Red Rock Cycling Club out in Morrison. Um and you kind of started it and I was like, well, I'll get one too and we'll do an episode. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, and then, man, we're, I think, what are we, ten. we're inside 10 days of uh, being ready to line up for, for Breck Epic. And, um, man, we've come at Breck Epic from a recap perspective a couple of times. Um, now, I think, is a good time to kind of say, hey, what are, three pieces of gear, one for nutrition, one for recovery, and one bike piece of gear that we just have to have for that event. Not any other event necessarily, but for, you know, staring down the barrel of six days of, of backcountry, you know, mountain bike racing in Colorado. Right. I love it. So, so we're going to cover all that. Yeah, all that. And it all is. And it's going to be fast. We're going to sound like the Micro Machines guy. Which is why we got the espresso. <laughs> Blonde roast, triple shot, bang time. Let's go. Uh-huh. Real quick, I did want to tell you the the instant coffee thing. I worked with this guy when I first moved to Denver, and he worked part-time at the bike shop, and he worked part-time as a bike courier. And then also really liked going to raves. So the guy was just always sleep-deprived and probably hungover of some variety. He, in his courier bag, had a jar of the Folgers crystals. Uh, I guess kind of the same thing as the Nescafe stuff. Right. He would... Take it, pour a, a lid's worth into the lid, throw it in his mouth, wash it down with water. Dude, you know what? <laughs> Look, I think years ago I'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? But, you know, I eat noon tablets right out of the canister. Yeah, I've done that too. I, it's like fun dip. And so I don't see it any different. That was pretty rough. Um, I, so this weekend I'm going to be camping in the – well, out of the dawn to dusk shuttle van, not my camper van, but the one for a shuttle. We have a private shuttle booked this weekend for a Kenosha Pass ride. And so I'm going to go up to Breck a couple days early. And I was looking at the Nest Cafe last night as we were unpacking. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just bringing that in a jet boil. It's so much easier than I got the grinder and the beans and the press yeah. and the thing. And so I'm going to go on Nest Cafe Instant all weekend. All right. I like it. I'm into it. So, so you did this. So I'm sorry, guys, but this platform is for you. But it's also for us. And when we start new things, we want to talk about them. And uh, Justin started Dawn to Dust two years ago, right? Yep. About two years ago. And it's evolved. And now it's offering experiences, not just get you faster, but like embrace the culture of mountain biking is kind of how I see it. I mean, totally. I don't know if that's me speaking out of turn. And you just led eight days eight on days. the trail? Yeah, Colorado uh, Trail. We did a Colorado Trail excursion. Yeah, words are important, right? Because mm-hmm. I run mountain bike camps. Mm-hmm. When I'm at a camp, I'm the coach. The camp is hard. Mm-hmm. You're going to get pushed. You're going to get 
pulled maybe just a little bit further than you want to even be pushed. Like that's the purpose of a camp is to evolve and train. But that's not all riding. And as a matter of fact, that's not even most of the riding that I do. Most of the riding I do is experiential. It just has a side benefit of being a fitness thing. You know, the other week, two Saturdays ago, I popped off like a 105 mile road ride with Brian and it was not for training. It was just, I want to see, I want to ride with part of the triple bypass people. I've never climbed to the top of Loveland. Like it was just fun as a byproduct. I probably got pretty fit. Being a yeah, yeah, you definitely <laughs> like ratcheted up the, uh, the fitness meter there. So I wanted to provide an opportunity for people to enjoy the bike without feeling like they're being coached all the time, because that is like a coaching relationship is intimate and it requires vulnerability and not everyone wants to do that all the time. So insert excursion Mm -hmm. the excursion is just that so just walk it back one statement in true justin form it was still hard i mean what what did you guys do in eight days so in eight days they covered because colorado trail is like a lot of people do it front to back you know, unsupported, and it's like 600, 500, 500 so I don't remember. The, the entire route, Denver to Durango, well, it's the same route both ways, yeah, distance, either way. but yep. we rode at Denver to Durango, is 550 miles and like 70,000 feet of elevation gain. But that includes a series of wilderness ride arounds that you can't ride. You can't ride a bike in wilderness area. Right. So that part of the single track Colorado Trail is unavailable to bikes. So you do ride arounds, and the ride arounds consist of primarily dirt roads but also some paved roads. And what this trip was, was eight days of this Colorado Trail single track. So all of the wilderness areas, we had the shuttle van ready, picked up the riders and their bikes and their gear and shuttled them to the next spot of single track. So their their totals ended up being 330 miles and 55,000 feet of elevation gain in eight days. Big days. Yeah, that's big. So, yes. It's I hard. mean, even with support, even with you know, food ready for you, even with, I mean, that's a lot of bike riding to do. Yeah. So each day they, they started off on the, the prescribed route and each night or afternoon they finished at a glamping setup. So I have these giant big glamping canvas tents, bell tents. Super. They look like mini yurts. Oh, they are. They're yurts. That's the yeah. best way to think of them as, as a yurt. And then they had in there, they had their cot, they had their bedding and they all got one 60 liter duffel bag. To, tra- to have transported for them. Inside of that's going to be camp clothes and cleanup gear and food and iPads and books and like whatever, whatever you want to fit in there. Yeah. You got a 60 liter bag. And so when they showed up and without fail, we hit this. When they showed up at the terminus of each day's route, the clamping setup was there. They could walk right into the tent, disrobe, get into good clothes, clean up. There was post-ride food available. And then, uh, you know, a couple hours later, we would have a full dinner prepared for them, hot dinner. Um, and we had everything from like pork carnitas to teriyaki Hawaiian rice bowls to burgers to pasta. Like we had, I mean, each, every night was a different meal, mm-hmm. um, prepared hot for them. And then they would wake up in the morning and we had full breakfast. Some days it was French toast and yogurt granola. Some days it was pancakes or eggs, burritos, like whatever it was. We had just different hot breakfast every morning mm-hmm. with the coffee we talked about. And they did that for the series of eight days, getting us from Denver to Durango and the campsites changed. I mean, we camped one night on the Blue Mesa Reservoir. So they were beachside with the tent set up and just got to go right into the Blue Mesa, into the lake and swim and wash. Uh, we were at Wellington Lake the first night. Uh, we did some boo-boo camping off the Colorado <laughs> Trail in Copper. Um, we camped at the top of Marshall Pass, literally on the Continental Divide. So they were camping at 
11,000 feet, which is a really cool experience in this big meadow. Not um, great for recovery, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, that day they went from 11 to higher. They went to like 13.5. Right. And so um, we had just just unbelievable camp experience. I mean, there was a fire pit and, like I said, unlimited food and water. and all. So they got all the support. But between those moments of hot food, <laughs> the Colorado Trail is a hard route. Like we yeah. have covered it at length on this episode. We've covered my failures on it. Right. We've covered Russ Patterson's success on it. Yep. Um, Which that is our number one listened to episode. Really? Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out and make it even more listened to, uh, Russ Patterson did Colorado Trail Race and we interviewed him and it's a really good episode. It's yeah. like a full blow by blow. Dude, and what he went through. Like, so having now just ridden... You know, because he ripped his derailleur off, and it was unfixable mechanical. Yeah, he had to skateboard his bike in, well, like, like, pretty far. Yeah, like, the last 70-something miles, yeah. if I remember right. And I just rode those 70 miles two days ago. <laughs> You're like, Ew. And I'm like, man, having to, like, strider bike this would have been miserable. And yeah. so I garnered even more respect for that dude in the way he finished it. But we got done, and, uh, you know, I'd, I... I wouldn't want to publicly say I was like, I hope it works, but you know, I had I hadn't provided that type of an experience. Yeah, before. For, first time out, right? And so a lot of planning went into it, a lot of preparation. I think we over prepped, overpacked, but in a good way to make sure we recovered. Um, went off without a hitch, dude. Everyone nice. got to Durango. Nice. It was, it was just unbelievable to watch these guys accomplish the ride, and I got to spend a lot of the days riding with them. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the days I was just working on moving the vans around. There were a couple of days I couldn't ride at all. But uh, I would typically go and set up, Abby and I would go set up the camp, get everything perfect, and then I would reverse route back to them. So meet them wherever. Meet, them wherever meet whoever was in yeah. front at, at a spot. And then turn around and ride them back in. You know, And the first day I got to ride entirely with them, and then the last two days because I went ahead and dropped our shuttle van in Durango. And so I got the last two days, which not for nothing, the San Juans are the best two days of the trail. And uh, we got to spend that time together. So eight days. Colorado Trail, fully supported, not easy. You know, our plan was to drive back Monday night, and the amount of work these guys did when we finished on Monday afternoon, and I said, hey, guys, we can go back. We'll get home at, like, midnight, <laughs> and don't worry. I can do it. I'm a driver. I can, I can yeah. get this thing done. Or we can go to Pagosa Hot Springs, sit in Hot Springs, and get a hotel room, and everybody voted, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so we end up, I didn't even do the excursion and I feel like I would have made that vote. <laughs> oh, dude. So, um, we ended up going to Nolan Van Hart, who's on our team and a phenomenal racer was my on-trail guide. And, uh, he, he was worth his weight in gold on, on the trip and what he did for these guys and his experience on the Colorado trail, his knowledge of all the segments really helped these guys be prepared for what was in store. And then, you know, he, he left no man behind, right? Like he stayed, he made sure everyone got through to the last bit, even when I would meet up with the group and take the front guys. And so when we were finishing, he goes, I don't care what we do, but we were going to Zia's in Durango and I'm getting a gigantic burrito. So we ended up all <laughs> going to Zia's uh, after everyone nice. finished. And who's sitting there at Zia's is Cole Patton and uh, Sevilla Blunk. Oh, they're, nice. They're sitting there and they're just having their dinner and just hanging out. Yep. And, uh, one of the guys like, is that Cole Patton? I go, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Cole, and they're, they're, they're right over there having dinner, you know? And so we go to leave, and uh, I end up stopping them. I'm like, hey, Cole. And he's like, 
he looks up and I go, hey, dude, these guys just finished eight days on the Colorado Trail doing the whole trip, and they're looking at you like you're a celebrity. And I just had to remind them, guys, what you did is so much harder than what Cole has done, <laughs> period. Like, this trip was massive. Be super proud of yourselves. And then Cole was blown away, and him and Sevilla were talking with the guys, and they think they hung out for like 15 minutes or so just chatting about how the experience was. And so it was really cool to watch them finish and then have one of the best racers in the country chatting with them and giving them the adoration that they have deserved sure. after accomplishing that yeah yeah absolutely but uh and then to the hot springs and uh, awesome it was it was great so we were talking this morning you're already planning next year so yeah 2024 is going to happen and uh it was you know we've covered a lot of my stuff on this ep- on this podcast since day one we've covered a lot of your stuff and we've done a lot of stuff this was the coolest bike experience I've ever been able to be a part of either in doing myself or providing because the Colorado trail is an inhospitable, unwelcoming bike ride. Like it is as a solo bike packer, it is so hard and it it requires so much from you that the largest percentage of your time is not spent enjoying the moment, right? <laughs> and, and what this excursion did is it provided people the chance to actually enjoy the trail, enjoy the views. You know, every day was between 30 and 45 miles. Every day was between six and some days, 9,000 feet of elevation gain. So there were big days, but manageable. And right. um, it well, was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of with a bike. And that manageable thing comes into the support. The it, It's kind of like stage racing like you know if all you have to do is ride the bike and all the other things are taken care of then you can lock in and enjoy the experience totally yeah the the guys would tell me stories of meeting people that were bikepacking on trail and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm not with them and the, and the bike packers would hear what they have and they're like <laughs> oh my god like that sounds way better <laughs> oh my, like everyone even the hikers you know, I think everyone's like <laughs> can i join can i do you got any room <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is no we no, are we don't we, we are, tapped we, out we got enough cots for the amount of riders. So, um, but anyway, yeah, just got back, uh, actually yesterday and, uh, nine hours was the time. And I had, uh, I'll just admit I had a cold brew to start it. And then I had a, a, a rock star in the middle of it. And then I had a double shot espresso to finish the amount of cleaning that was required oh. of the <laughs> yeah. year. Nine you sent, hours. Me, sent me a text. It just said still cleaning. That was it. Nine <laughs> hours, dude, both vans, all the, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't just rest when I get back. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was nine hours of cleaning. I have yeah. gone through so much Autobahn, um, and simply green, yeah. but, uh, we're ready. So yeah, next year going to do the route again, Denver to Durango. I'm going to take a week off in Durango to, uh, recalibrate, to ride, to clean, to prep. And then we'll do a second option Durango to Denver. So we'll end up doing two of these next year. Right. And if you're in Utah, Nevada, California, Arizona, Was- Arizona Washington, the Durango to Denver is purpose built for you. Yeah, you fly into Durango with your bike and your gear. You'll end up riding to Denver. All your stuff will make it there. And then you can fly out from Denver back home. And you get to like be in Denver. Yeah, it's 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 a super cool setup. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing that in 24. Uh, this, this may become like a, a cornerstone of what we provide because unlike the camps and unlike the coaching that we do with the athletes, this is something that, you know, anyone can just pop in and experience it. So yeah. there is a vetting process. Like if you are still learning yeah. how to shift. Yeah, no, like, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely for experienced mountain bikers who have, have spent time, you know, 
doing hard shit. Yeah. Like it, and like uh, to refer back, just because it's an experience, just because it's supported, and just because it's not a coaching session doesn't mean it's not hard. No, and towards the end of it, like the guys were like, man, I'm feeling really beat up. I don't know if I should ride today. I'm like, you're on day seven. Of course you're beat up, dude. Like you're, you're held together by – right now you're held together by glucose and grit. Like, yeah, just, yeah. How many, how many tubes of amp did you bring? Totally. You're held together by glucose and grit, man. And they, you know, they had Normatex each night and all this stuff to help with recovery. But you just – yeah. It's, it's just still – you still grind. Like it still grinds you, right? Like it's still – Yeah. They, like every day has a cumulative effect and it, it can feel exponential. What's one of your biggest riding weeks for in our training block? Like the biggest hours-wise? Uh, recently it was like 12. Oh yeah. Cause we, we were doing very purposeful. Yeah. Some guys are getting up to like 20 this year, yeah. um, that we're doing some, some stuff. Uh, I mean, 20 is like pro pro level. I getting mean, up that's, there, right? that's, yeah. that's um, approaching pro pro mountain biker level. These guys did 50 hours of mountain biking in eight days. A lot. I mean, granted this the Colorado trail, so you're hiking some of it, yeah. you know, yeah. but, uh, but, but hiking a bike when hiking a bike ain't easy, man. 50 hours. That's that's, I mean, that's the workload. Like, so yeah. can you do 50 hours in eight days? Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was, it was amazing. I'm, I'm haven't even been, this was the most unpacking of it that I've done. Their photo album is going to go out today and we're going to start to kind of pushing that stuff through. We took so much media, so there'll be some reels and videos and stuff coming out, but, uh, nice. really looking forward to next year already. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Bike fits. Bike fits. What a, actually, what a great segue. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. whew. So, you started it. Thanks. <laughs> you sound like a. You sound uh, like my like elementary school buddy, Chris. I um. For better or for worse, uh, I've never really gotten a fit, um, and I don't know why. Uh, I always just went with what I never had issues, right? Yeah. Um, and um, we'll cover this. I my fit actually created some issues that I solved. Um. But it was really inopportune, even with a month before uh, Breck Epic, to have to deal with what I'm kind of dealing with right now. Um, but what got you, like, what was the, I'm going to go pay a human to put me on an indoor bike and tell me my fit's right or wrong? Yeah, great question. So, likewise, I, don't, I didn't have any body issues. You know, a lot of people go get a fit because something's hurting, something's mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't have that. Again, I, I've said many times on this podcast, I'm a bit of a Neanderthal. People are like, how does that bike ride? I'm like, upright and downhill. Yeah, like, yeah right. Like, Fast. It's, it's a bike. Yeah, um, it's good. And that's not to say I'm not in tune with my body or my experiences. It's just that like, part of life is just dealing with things that like, that's not quite perfect. That's not quite perfect, but it gets the job done. Like, are flip-flops comfortable to walk in? Like, hard answer, no. They're not built to be comfortable, but I wear them all the time because I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I didn't go in there saying, I need to fix this thing. I went in there because this year we got on new bikes. We got new tech. We are more and more experienced with like every passing season that we're doing both together mm. and individually in our pursuits. I felt like I reached a very, very high level of cycling last year. And the people at the highest levels of cycling do all of the details. And this is one of the details I hadn't done yet. So I wanted to book a fit to see that or to see if rather there was stuff on the table that I've just been leaving behind because I was ignorant. Like I just didn't know. And so it was about making sure that that box got checked. Like your bike is awesome. You got all the new hot stuff. You got the best of the best. You're training really hard. You're training very, 
smart, your nutrition's on point, your fitness is dialed. Is this something you're leaving off the table? And right. That was it, my motivation. Is there? It, it's oh, it's, it's overused, but the marginal gains. Is there a marginal yeah. gain there for the the low entry cost of two hundred dollars? Totally. Like to get, let's say you got five watts more power for two hundred bucks. That's a, that's a. I got five watts more power over the course of the next. You know, I've I've got I've got almost six thousand miles ridden this year. Right. So five watts is like pretty awesome. Yeah. Over the course of six thousand miles, right? And there's nowhere else that you're going to get that the math. Right. That that, that is. Right. So that was what my motivation was going into it. And then the fit happened and my whole world crumbled. <laughs> you were you were pretty hilarious. Um because you you went into and I was worried that I was gonna go into the same mode because like we went and got fits. Colin and I went and got fits and had a ride planned. And every fiber of my being after the fit was to drive back to Denver to get bike parts to make my stem to make my cockpit right right um but i didn't i didn't go quite as oh as soon as mine happened everything about my days yeah. days i mean yeah. no i know because I, it, was, it was an afternoon fit it was a monday we were closed mon- yeah. you couldn't get into the shop we had to order shit it was a monday at two i didn't do anything on my to-do list until <laughs> wednesday you had to, you week. you had to go to multiple bike shops Multiple bike shops to get things to make your super caliber headset work. Mm-hmm. You had to find stems. You had you you had to beg, borrow, steal a handlebar from me that I thought I didn't need. That after I got my fit, turns out I did need. <laughs> but she gone. <laughs> she gone. <laughs> uh, so what did you? So what did you learn about your bike fit? I so the first thing I learned, and it's actually. We did, I think I did a guest blog post for Basecamp maybe four years ago about the experience with Shockways. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. So what I learned with Shockways, actually the same thing I learned with the bike fit, which is how you feel doesn't really mean squat diddly <laughs> because we are a, we're a chameleon creature, right? Yeah. Like we have learned to adapt. It's like, it's, it's, it is human evolution. Like we, we've adapted. We are adaptable species. And so what I learned was, wow, relying on my feel uh, against a professional's you know, skill set to, to put me in the right spot is not something to lean into. Like, do not lean into feel. Like, oh, I think this feels right, or that feels a little off. Or, man, I had my bike so sideways jacked up. Like, <laughs> he got me in there, and he goes, holy crap, dude, what is – I didn't realize I was supermaned out on my bike. And because I was Superman, I had my seat slammed. And because I had my seat slammed, but still Superman, I had slammed, it tilted down. Slammed forward on the rails. Slammed forward on the rails. Nose down so that nose down so you that. weren't like pushing on your, your soft bits. And then Superman out on the handlebar. And like all of these things became like the snowball effect to create a fit that I was like, oh yeah, it feels really good. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, because you have like five wrong things that have come together to be manageable. Right. So we are starting at scratch. Right. And that's what he does. And that's what I appreciated that I got on their, on their fit bike and he set my engine up first. So hip, seat, legs, pedals, the engine, everything mm-hmm. that makes the bike go forward and made that right. And the adjustment went from there. And I had always just kind of done it all together. I had no rule, rhyme or reason. It just was like, oh, make it work like this. Yeah. And so... That's what I learned. I learned that my feel, my thoughts. Well, and I think 
outside looking in, like you're a victim of your your own fitness too. Like you're a strong dude with good core stability, right. good flexibility. Like, yeah, your back doesn't hurt because you're strong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you weren't strong, if you didn't spend 13 years in the gym business, right. your back would be in shambles right, right. now. Yeah. Like you'd be fused. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people do go into to fits with a nagging problem. Usually their low back or hand numbness is because they can't hold their body right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so you're just a, don't be in such good shape, man. Yeah, right. What the fuck? Right. Uh, so what ultimately compared to your feel, what changes, what, what was like the most surprising change and like what other little changes that were like kind of like, oh, like that tracks. Yeah. The biggest change in it, I mean, way bigger than any of the other changes was how high I had my seat post and how much he dropped it. Mm-hmm. My seat post dropped a substantial amount. Like I'm not really good with the measurements you guys use. Yeah. But it was this much. How much is that? I mean, that looks like three inches to me. It was that how that's how far my seat was dropped into my frame. Wow. And then because of that, the seat then fore aft got to come back to right. neutral. Mm-hmm. And then instead of being poked down, it got to be neutral. And then because of that, my handlebars needed to come in. Mm-hmm. And so everything moved based off of that one adjustment and the adjustment was huge to me because I've always thought, you know, I want the seat as high as I can to get a maximum pedal stroke out. Mm -hmm. And that's the smartest way to do it. Um, And I know not to go too high where your hips are rocking and you're back. I get that. But he dropped me a lot lower and I was skeptical. Like very skeptical. I have, if you go back in my, my camera gallery on my phone, the amount of, profile selfie videos I have of me like leaning up against a signpost or something in the middle of a ride being like, there's no way this is right. And then reverse pedaling and then watching the video backwards to see what the pedal stroke and you go, Oh no, like it is, it is right. That was the biggest change. And the yield from that change is I have always felt massive glute engagement on my pedal stroke, which most cyclists are begging for more glute. Mm -hmm. And I actually, and if I'm being vain, if I look at a bunch of cyclists standing next to each other or like a podium picture I'm on, everyone's quads seem like so much bigger than my quads. And then I go out and I ride and I'm like, oh, I feel it in my glutes and glutes and glutes. And I don't really even feel my quads until they're like borderline cramping, yeah. right? Or you're riding your single speed. Or I'm riding my single speed. And so with the fit, the first thing I noticed when I went and started using the new fit is I didn't just feel glutes. I actually felt glutes and hamstrings and quads in calves, I felt everything much more balanced. And that was the the heart of what he was trying to get was, you know, maximum muscle engagement. And I was like, holy crap, I'm so much more balanced. Since my fit, I have not cramped on the bike. Yeah, that's awesome. Nowhere. Because I I, I feel like I'm truly using really balanced muscle activation. And I'm feeling way more quads. Um, And again, not in an overbearing way, but in like, oh yeah, that's probably how it's supposed to be working the whole time. Right. Well, I think, um, my experience is that a lot of, uh, cyclists chase glute activation. Right. Right. Um, a couple of years ago, I can't remember there was, it just clicked for me at one point. And like, since then I've had no issues with glute activation. Really. I haven't ever had uh, quad cramps, but yeah, I, I just think a lot of, I think a lot of cyclists chase being able to use more of their, posterior chain yeah in, in linking up to what you said earlier i mean 
15, I mean, 13 years of owning a gym, but, you know, 17 years of being in the gym, 15, being in the gym heavily, I have done a million some deadlifts. Like, yeah, a lot of deadlifts. I just got really good at using glutes, deadlifts, and kettlebell swings, and all the things. And, and I got really good at it. And so I think I was able to recruit him just based off of that experience. Mm-hmm. But, man, he balanced it out. And everything went up, you know, uh, my power output went up, my speeds went up, my feeling went up, my ability to rebound every day was even better than it had been before. So I saw that it worked. And even yet, you know, a month later, I took another selfie video. I'm like, this just doesn't, it doesn't is, feel is, right. Is, is it? Cause it just, it was such, it's been a change to how I've had bikes set up for quite a while. Did so, he recommend a different size bike for you? He did. He actually said that, uh, I was on a bike. I, I've been riding extra larges. And he's like, you know, I would have put you on a large for both the Allied and the Super Cal. Um, that said, I do feel, and I think he's an unbelievable fitter. So I, nothing but strong. Obviously, there's been like 10 on no ride around, 10 people that have gone and got fit since. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for it. Um, but there is still like, no matter, even if I get on a large fit correctly, like my knees hit the controls. Like I bash my knee into a, so. I still think I would get the extra large because I know I need, I feel like I need the space. He does say it makes the fit a little harder, um, but he, I mean, we did it. Yeah, you know, we got, got a there. goofy stem and whatever, but we did it. And so he went, so Colin and I went and got fit at the same time. And generally speaking, there's a correlation between guys being pretty tall and also wearing a large shoe size. Right. And you guys fake seat height by pointing your toes. That's what he like. Yeah. Like that was his big. He's like Colin. What's what size? Colin's like I wear like a forty-eight or whatever he wears, and for somebody my height, like I don't have small feet. I wear eleven and a half. Um, but you know, when I point to compensate, it is exaggerated. Like if I were trying to point my toes at the bottom of my pedal stroke to compensate, um, it would be a lot more noticeable than a tall guy with long legs and big feet. Um, and he, like Colin was cheating his saddle height and I bet you are too. Yeah. That's interesting. I, he, we didn't have that conversation. Scott and I didn't, but he just has you start pedaling right mm-hmm. away and yeah. he was just watching my feet and he goes, Oh, you actually have a pretty good flat foot pedal stroke. And yeah. then he was watching Brian pedal and Brian had more of a pointed toe yeah. pedal stroke. And also his seat was way too high. Um, but the one thing he said is like it's it's really hard to teach someone to put their foot differently. Mm-hmm. He goes like you've been pedaling long enough. You know he's like you're a forty year old dude. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna be. Like, hey, you need to change. Drive your heel. Drive. Yeah, he's yeah. just you're patterned. Yeah. So now make the fit work with your pattern versus being like change the way your foot operates. Um, but yeah, I, so he's like you have a flat pedal stroke, but that was why I was tilted so far with mm-hmm. the seat was to allow me to stay flat. Like roll your hips. Yeah, it was probably so, wasn't doing great things for your undercarriage at times. Yeah, you know, I fortunately I have a cast iron. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think it's cast iron. I think it's just as is, is pillowy tissue as you've got under there. The difference is I have a phenomenal schedule of maintenance post ride, and I don't mess with it. Like you won't see me sitting around sitting post ride in the bib. Like I have got, I have got wipes. I have got powder. I have, I got, I, I have yeah. a program, and you don't mess up a program. Grund- grundle maintenance. <laughs> You know what? Because, you know, those little gremlins down there can really turn your day around. Yeah. yeah. And it takes a long time to heal. So that was my biggest one was a, a drop seat. And then everything changed from there. And, yes, I had to go get parts. Um, 
You and, were all the way in your feelings. Though. Oh, it was like your whole world had been a lie, dude. <laughs> and then I so if I get a puncture on trail, I plug it. I finish the ride. I get a new tire. I don't care if the plug can hold. I don't care if the plug can continue holding. I'm not going to take out a tire on my next ride that I know has been compromised. It's just not how I operate. It's right. I cleaned all my gear yesterday when I got home after a monster drive because gear belongs cleaned and put away. It doesn't belong <laughs> dirty and on the floor. And right. so yeah. um, once I found out that there was stuff not right with the fit, it was the only thing I needed to do. And fortunately, we were able to do it and yeah. get it accomplished. Yeah, and, we had the stuff. and um, It all worked out. And... And since then, it's 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 freaking awesome. Uh, like I said, I haven't had any pain. I, I went back to him and actually got my road bike fit just last week. And I told him, I go, man, your fit works. I just did the trans out. And all those days of riding, I don't have one nagging, weird pain. Like, the bike fit was real. So for you, what was the big – because when you said, I'm going to go get it too, we'll do an episode mm-hmm. – you know, you're just just you know, speaking bl- plainly. Like you know enough that you can be your own worst in- enemy oh, on this for situation. Sure. Like, oh, dude, I've been around bikes for decades. I know how yeah. to do this. I know yeah. what do- I know how it's supposed to feel. But to my point, like the feel wasn't what it's about. It's about yeah. the data and the numbers and the the optics of how you actually look. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, um. I. He went the opposite, and I was surprised. He raised my seat up a ton. Oh, wow. A ton. My seat is, I don't know how much higher, but it's a lot higher. Can you I mean, do it with your fingers? Uh, it's probably about two inches. Cool. Um, There's a joke, and I just matured my maturity. <laughs> Actually, the coffee I want to drink right now eliminated the joke. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I guess there are times where I – I'm not surprised by things because I, I lean into the, I don't know what I don't know sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I never had any problems and, you know, I'll attribute some of that to having been coached by you since like 2015 and having good core stability and knowing how to do a deadlift and, you know, all the things that building fitness off the bike has done for me. And something we don't cover a lot, like you do a lot of recovery work, you do mm-hmm. self-maintenance, yeah. like you pay attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like nothing was like earth shattering for me. Um, I was, I think th- I will say the biggest revelation or thing that I came away from it with is I have wondered if I should be riding a medium at times. Hmm. Um, mostly on drop bar bikes. Like I always wonder if like a 55, cause in my mind and maybe right or wrong, who knows, like if you ride a large frame, you probably ride a 55, 56 gravel or, or, or road bike is kind of the correlation in my mind based on absolutely nothing <laughs> except well, for, anyway, yeah, I ride XL mountain bike. I ride a 58 road yeah. bike. Um, and so, um, I've always struggled to be perfectly comfortable on any drop bar bike I have. Um, and so then you start to think, well, should I ride a 54 road bike? And then I had Norbea, and Norbea put me on a 53, and it fit pretty damn good. And so then you're like, it, it was my version of, of being, kind of having my reality rocked uh, the way you did, um, thinking, well, if I'm riding a 53 road bike, is there a world where I should be on a medium mountain bike? 
and uh, at the very least, the the fit. Um, he's like, you're you're on the right size bike. You ride a large mountain bike, at least in this brand. If you get a different mountain bike, we'll talk about it. But in in an Allied, you ride a large, and it's a pretty big large, so it makes me feel pretty confident that I would ride a large in anything else. Um, so the fit experience was awesome, and we immediately took the bikes out for a ride, and. Uh, we went and did Staunton and I rode well. Um, I was a little worried because he had, he brought me up and back. So you were, you were up and forward. Um, he brought me up and back from being too low, uh, which of course, then he wanted my handlebars, uh, a little bit higher. And I was running the Bontrager RSL, uh, super Gucci integrated, cool looking stuff. Um, way too aggressive of a drop, uh, with where my seat ended up. You can't flip those bars upside you down. You can't do shit with them. <laughs> uh, so I needed to come up and back. Um, so he kind of gave me a couple of things to play with like that. I like that the handlebars aren't as hard and fast as the saddle height, saddle fore and aft. Yeah. The, like that, that's the part that's like seasoned to taste yeah. almost. And it was nice at the end of the fit when he does that. Once the engine spot is all set up, mm-hmm. then he's moving all those around. He gives you the, you're like, number one, number two. Number yeah. one. It's like yeah. the optometrist. You yeah. know? Um, and uh, so I had to ditch my bars that I ordered from England for full retail because <laughs> they don't exist in the U.S. So uh, anybody needs a set of uh, 90 millimeter RSL cross country bars, I got you. Dude, we were treating those things like Willy Wonka's golden ticket. Dude, in the they spring. were they were just hard to get. Yeah, I'm, you know? and I was tracking them down. Yeah, I tried to set down in San Diego, yep. then we got them, then yep. you got them for yep. me. You're yeah. like, yeah. it was the Wonka's golden ticket. You could argue I have two pairs that I need to get rid of now. I have I I have gotten rid of mine, right? <laughs> and I don't have I don't own any anymore. Um, so he once we got the to use your terminology once we got the engine set on mine, um, I was running. Because it's XC, you know, XC bro bullshit. Uh, I was trying to like, I think those Bontrager bars are like a minus 12. It's a really aggressive cockpit. Yeah. So I was running a minus 1290, which bearing in mind that my seat was down and forward. Again, I was kind of to like get a look on the bike and, you know, that sort of thing. Everything was shifted in the wrong direction. Um, and again, it, there was no issues. Um so he said I could either do uh, a 70 stem with a 780 bar. He like he really wanted me on a 780 bar, and I've been riding him at 740 for a while. Um, but he really wanted me on that on a 70. He's like, I think you'll do a lot better on a 780 um, or an 80 mil with a 740. I bought all the configuration. I had an Envy stem. I had a bar. I bought. Uh, some pro, uh, the Shimano component brand pieces to play with. Um, just to, I'm not feeling perfect, uh, on the, the cockpit, but I bought all the things much like you, but a little less urgency. <laughs> Mine was, I wasn't going to ride it. Until it was, <laughs> totally. And I also didn't, you know, you, you're talking about getting different configurations. You're going to try it. Yeah. My phrase to him was you're the professional Tell me the exact measurements. I will make it exactly that. Yeah. He's like, well, why don't you try it? So much so that once I came back the next day with all the bits on, uh-huh. the fork was, you know, there's a bunch of extra fork up top. 
the steerer tube. Off. And I go, cut it off. And he's like, I mean, don't you want to like ride it first? I, I go, no, no, cut it off. Like I was fully bought in, like committed and full committed. But it also wasn't about again because. For me, I learned feel didn't. So when he said go out and do something to let me know how it feels, I'm like, bro, if we go off a of feel, I'm still in this crazy super right, jacked yeah. up. I'm going like, to be all fucked up. Yeah, feel didn't work. So no. So where my fit fell apart, I'm still dealing with it right now. Due to time constraints, I've been doing a ton of indoor training. And it's not ideal, but it's just what my life has allowed. Um, and as such, post fit, I didn't, I was getting basically Monday and Saturday, I was riding my mountain bike and it wasn't, it didn't give me a big enough cross section. Uh, cause I rode it the day we got the fit, did Staunton, had a great ride out Staunton, highly underrated trail here in Colorado. I'll take it over Buff Creek. Well, you get tried on a Monday too. I dude, I, we went there on uh 4th of July. It was empty. Hmm. We went there on 4th of July at noon. Yeah. There's as much parking as you the want. We, the weekends, the weekends, that place. Is it's not zero. recommended to ride it on the weekends. Oh, okay. Um, just because you've got, I mean, there's so you many trail users out yeah. there. Okay. But during the week, you're right. It is. It's a gym, dude. I mean, from the trail perspective, I mean, the climbs are more technical. The descents are more technical. There's more. You still get kind of rough buff creek numbers. Anyway. Yeah. No phone service. That does get people some twisted. I like that there's no phone I mean, service. if I'm out for two and a half hours, I I, I created... Until you want to upload your Strava. I, I get phone service at the parking lot. Good for you. Um, but... Um, I need to get on that Boost Mobile plan, you guys. <laughs> T-Mobile, baby. Uh, so, I had a couple of challenging efforts, but not super hard efforts. Um, and a real big problem presented itself doing... I did Falcon Layer last Monday. And Falcon is a, a motherfucker. I don't care what shape you're in. It's as hard as you want to make it. And right. even if you want to go like, um, I'm not going to try to PR it. I'm just going to ride it. It's still fucking hard. Yeah. Steep I mean, and technical and hard. Yeah. Um, and that brought with it um, some pretty severe back problems that I've never. It, it's not core strength. It's not anything other than. Ultimately, I think my seat ended up about half a centimeter too high. Huh. Like I'm, I'm fucked up right now. <laughs> uh, now I have since brought it down half a centimeter. It's not getting worse, but I mean, I've got my Theragun with me at all times right now. Cause so something about that saddle height created, it, it started in my left glute. And then it bound up my low back and I've been fighting, fighting my way back. Now, the good news is, is that I've been able to, it's weird. It hasn't impacted my ability to train. Um, but I'm, I have been in some pretty constant discomfort. Now, again, it's going away since I just brought that saddle down just a touch, just five. And he'd even said a little bit, he, he was a little put off by the fact that my, my saddle was not infinite adjustable. So I run the transfer SL, which if anybody doesn't know, it's a great seat post. It's super lightweight. It's like 200 grams lighter than anything else uh, in a similar drop travel range. And super reliable. Super reliable. It's a spring. I mean, there's nothing in it, right? There's no oil. There's no air. Um, it's a great seat post. But he wanted. He, he said, when you're doing technical climbing, drop your seat post five millimeters. 
Can't do it. Or, uh, yeah, five millimeters. Can't do it. You, you can't do it uh, on that post. And he was really kind of – he's like, if you have one, I would recommend putting it on. So, to his credit, he did say, when you're doing technical climbing, what is Mount Falcon? Right. The whole thing is technical. I'm going to jump in there and say, similarly – so when he fits us, we're fit on this indoor bike, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a fixed bike. I've noticed that when I'm doubting my fit, my seat too low, I'm doing climbing with my rear suspension open. Uh-huh. And when I'm locked out in the rear, I'm never doubting the fit. Right. Well, of course, there's sag, right? Right. So now I'm seated with a rear suspension open. The bike drops a little. Yeah. I feel like the feel pedal long, stroke yeah. is too short. Mm-hmm. So whether or not that's... I mean, it, yeah. it starts to correlate, and I go, okay, well, we're being fit on a – so you were fit, similarly, on a bike. Well, yeah, when you're just hammering flat road miles, this is how it should be. Right. So I get it, you know, yeah. like – and that's where, you know, mountain bike and geometry and suspension, like, it does all change those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, to and, and I don't want my – the pain that I am, like, managing right now to, like, mitigate the value of the fit – it's never going to be perfect every single time, I don't think. Um, and again, to his credit, he did kind of give me this one little note, like, "Hey, when you're when you're doing technical climbing, just feather your seat post down a little bit." And it kind of like in one ear out the other, a little bit. Right. When I f- I did swap from the transfer SL, and when I put um, the new post on that I'm running, I just set it five millimeters lower because this back pain is excruciating. Like it's getting better. Like. Today's the first day that, like, sitting in this stool isn't great, and it's, like, kind of setting in a little bit. But when I woke up this morning, I was like, oh, there's no, like, zero pain. Now, I Theragunned myself about 20 fucking times yesterday. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say overall the value of the fit was really good. Um, I'm, I trust the process um, to know that, much like you, he's getting me using more balanced muscles, um, which over the course of stage racing, lots of training, tons of volume, ultimately is going to keep me fresher and feeling better. Um, I'm pretty lucky with the exception of a couple of standout uh, events. I don't really cramp much, but I have been feeling more total activation. Yeah, the I didn't get any pain from it, but naturally I got moved on the bike. I had new sensations. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I've never felt that. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait, should I feel that? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I never felt it. And so it's just all new. And I had the, fortunately, it didn't come with pain. And if it did, it would, I, I can see where you get to a spot where you're like, uh-oh. Especially less than 10 days out, right? Yeah. And, and you were smart. You did it with a month ago. Yeah. Um, I tried to do it in that little window, a little valley of my season as well. Um, but, you know, it's going to feel different. So you got to budget time for that i guess yeah yeah um so i mean and again you know trusting the process proofs in the pudding when we did go ride staunton i don't know the name of any of the freaking trails but there's one trail um where it's got some pretty technical up sections like they're all super rideable but they're big slabs of rock with like unsure lines um and a handful of really grunty uh switchbacks and it was power on demand. Right. Like more easily accessible power, I guess. Yeah. That's likewise. I'm looking, I'm like, how am I PRing all of this stuff when I'm actually kind of fatigued and run down? Cause yeah. the volume is up. Yeah. Um, but hell. Yeah. I mean, we went and rode, um, 
I've since swapped my cockpit. Um, so per Scott, my fits, what it should be. Um, we went and rode, um, stage two on Monday. I got a shitload of trophies. Yeah. Not racing, you know, just bro riding with Colin and Ben. Um, so yeah, power's there. Yeah. Brian, because you know, Brian was with me on the fit, as I said, and he keeps saying, he's like, the fit is real. That's his words. The fit is real because he went and. When he PRs, he KOMs. You know, yeah, right, totally. You and I, we PR. And like, like, oh, we got a we first place a PR for ourselves. For ourselves. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I, the fit's real, dude. I went and I just did all the four of those segments faster than anyone who's ever done them before in the history of mankind. Yeah. Um, and he yeah. keeps saying the fit is real. And, yeah. and, and that's really where it is. Uh, so much so, like I said, I took my road bike in. And at this point, I trust the fit so well. I went in and did the road bike fit. And immediately rode in a rainstorm from Morrison up to Evergreen and back just to settle the fit in. And then three days later, went and did that 105-mile road ride. Right. Not a single stitch of pain anywhere. Nice. And you're like, okay, yeah, you get on a road bike. Because road bikes just kind of come with pain for me. <laughs> there's a, there's definitely a correlation. Well, you're just in – unlike a mountain bike and a road bike, you're just seated and holding onto the bars pretty much the you whole time. move around. And so – a static position is going to, just like you sitting in that stool, right? Uh, it just settles in with just discomfort. And I was like, man, I just popped this off and I don't feel any issues at all. What's And it wasn't an easy 105. It was like 105 with like 10,500 feet of climbing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big so day. I wish, I, I, I think I wish I would have done it sooner, but, you know, this is just part of the progression. And I got to a spot where I wanted to make sure that this box was checked. And for you... And going into Breck Epic, uh, I'm so glad that you wanted to do it as well because your Breck Epic approach this year has been that of a, a professional rider. Like you've been taking everything so seriously, your training, the nutrition, dotting the I's, getting the T's, doing all of the things, and this was the last piece of it. Mm. And so as we start staring down the barrel of day one of Breck Epic, this helps to bring all of it in line for you know Harley to have be- Harley's best performance. Yeah. Just got to get my back right, but I got some days for stretching and mobility. Uh, yeah. It'll be fine. Like, uh, just yesterday to today, improvement has been better. So, I'm excited. Um, well, let's move on to Breck Epic stuff. Um, for now, uh, anybody that is interested in a fit, really can't recommend Scott uh, out at Red Rock Cycling Club enough. Super good dude. Um, knows his stuff. He didn't give... Uh, I don't know if he did the same for you. He didn't really give me like the razzle dazzle, like we need to do this. And this is why we're doing that. Cause we're in the industry and, um, but he'll explain a lot to you when you do it. And he's got a really cool setup and it's right there in downtown Morrison. So then you can go for a ride. Uh, it's super cool. And super affordable. It, it is. The, some of the fits just, you know, and the equipment for it's expensive. Like whether people are doing a retool fit or other, he didn't use the guru system. Like the equipment's expensive, but, um, I think he's super affordable, super fair. You can bring in multiple bikes if they're in the. So I brought in two mountain bikes, and it was just a little tack on. It wasn't mm-hmm. double the fee. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so, and then they email you a PDF of your measurements mm-hmm. and so you, how to take the measurements because yep, that's such yep. a critical piece. Like, you know, different saddle manufacturers measure their saddles differently, mm-hmm. and if you don't know, and that, they're just shaped differently, right? Like they're not all the yeah, same length, so you don't know things, and so. He sends you with universal numbers in a PDF and how to measure them so you can set up any bike. And I, I they're saved on my phone. And yeah. it's really cool that you get that as well. You want to know something super cool? Sure. 
I'm probably going to buy his other fit bike. (laughs) (laughs) That is super cool. Um, He offered it to me and offered to train me on it. And so once we have that, no longer go to Scott. You must come to me. (laughs) But until such a time, if you need a bike fit, go to Scott. (laughs) And uh, guys, uh, tell them that we told you to go there. Yeah, for sure. Because we have (laughs) sent a ton of people to him. um, And, you know, it. I just want him to feel because he for me and I think for you he came in on his days off. Well, he may have done us a favor on that, but uh, I mean he didn't give me a don't get it twisted. We it, paid full paid retail, full, for it. full well, price, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to give you a discount, and he like gave me the opportunity to not take the discount, which I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I, would, I mean, it was 200 bucks. Like, how do you yeah. like? My first one, you know, is 200, but I added the second box as a 300 dollars fit. And then I went in for the road bike, you know, and in the interim, like I said, maybe 10 people went in and got yeah, a lot of people have been us. going. And, uh, you know, I just, I had two $200 bills. He owns it. So just a, as an owner, I would like it if somebody just gave me the crisp hundreds yeah, instead yeah. of a credit card. Totally. And so I'd already had two hundreds and I just handed them to him. He's like, oh, I was going to do, he's like, oh, well, you already got it. And I go, dude, I was prepared to pay you that. It's worth it. Just take it. Just take it. Yeah. And so our recommendation doesn't come because he goes, Hey, you get five more people in here. And we'll fit all your no, bikes. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, moving into Breck Epic, we've, again, we've got some, if you're, if you're looking for the recaps, uh, stage by stage, uh, we did that back in 2019. I posted those episodes on our, our Instagram page. I'll repost them, uh, just before the race. Uh, we didn't do quite as in depth, but, uh, I think probably a little bit more entertaining recap last year. Yeah, but more of a lifestyle recap yeah, last year. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that was about, you know, there was there's a lot of like your journey with Abby in there because that was cool, um, and then, uh, but we haven't talked a ton about going into it other than like, yeah, we're riding a lot. Here's what we're training, like that, whatever. So what I say, I said. Nutrition, recovery, and bike must-haves. One in each category. Um, Go ahead. You start. You want me to start? Yeah. Okay, nutrition is what we're going to start with first. Yep. And don't, like, we know you're going to eat healthy. We know you're going to have a great meal plan. Like, like tunnel down further than that. Yeah. So, mine's pretty straightforward. It is... There's so much food at Breck Epic. Like when you finish, when you cross the finish line, mm-hmm. all the aid stations are insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you cross the finish line, they have like the Breck Smash, like their specific sandwich, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And, oh yeah. I mean, there's a plenty of food to fill so your like face the with chips and pickles. Chips and pickles and mayo. On yeah. Bread. It's, it's actually so fucking good though. What? There's no that? scenario where I ever eat that except for crossing <laughs> no. the finish line in Breckenridge. <laughs> um, but having a very specific recovery drink, and for me, it's Carbo Rocket Rehab. And I do two scoops when I'm in stage race mode. Uh-huh. Um, that is a without fail have to have as soon as I cross. And this is something I don't actually do in my training. So in training, I'll get done with the training ride and I'll just have a meal usually. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes if it's really hard or if I have like a gap, I'll do a recovery. But having the rehab drink the moment I get done with the ride, because I don't do it all the time, when I am doing it, I'm doing it on stage races. That this year has been many of them. Right. It gets my mind shifted into the being very purposeful and being very professional on the job I'm out to do. So treating the event, it's giving more gravitas to the event, mm-hmm. and it's helping me stay in that mindset of like be purposeful, be exact, be pro, 
be on it. And so that recovery drink is for me the number one nutrition thing because it, it starts the process that's required every day on a stage race of saying, I need to recover, but I need to prepare. I need to recover, I need to prepare. Like there's this constant thing and it helps just frame the rest of my day. So for me, it's having my car rocket rehab on the ready immediately afterwards. Um, Horchata or chocolate coconut? Oh, good question. Uh, the one I have, but... What's your preference? Preference is horchata, of course. Yeah, horchata is um, amazing. And I've, I've done... I do horchata with uh, unsweetened vanilla almond milk yeah. is why I prefer it. And if it's before 3 p.m., I put two shots of espresso from my Nespresso in it. Dude, horchata with cold brew. Bro. Blended, a little bit of ice. Woo! So good. Woo! So... <laughs> 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 so good. Yeah, the uh, the horchata is definitely. You know, I was before I got to know Brad at Carver Rocket. I'm like, right. what's with this horchata? Like, I love horchata, but it's yeah. a very like specific sort yeah. of flavor and yeah. place of the world where you're having horchata. And, and it, it doesn't really strike you as somebody that you want in a sports scenario, right? right not at all. <laughs> but that dude loves Mexico. Like, he's in Mexico yeah. all the time, yeah. and uh, and so now it all ma- it all makes sense. But that horchata is having good. having my horchata Carver Rocket rehab. Yeah. Before three o'clock with two shots of espresso, um, but mixed. It's just it's it's for me. It's a very purposeful pro thing right. that I don't always do yeah. uh, when I'm just out training. Yeah, I'm like I'm gonna ride later this afternoon, and I and I, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. Um, for you, so uh, I do my I do the horchata. Uh, so specifically at Brack Epic, I get back to the condo. I immediately hit the 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 recovery. But I know I need to eat and eating gets hard when you're stage racing. And so for me, it's things that I view as, as long as it's got the things that I need to be recovering, I try to have things that are, I get excited to eat because after six hours, five hours, whatever of drinking syrupy, carby mix, and then piling like the horchata recovery stuff's good, but it's just more sweet yeah. On top of everything. Um, so I try to do things that I view as a, as a, as a decadence or a treat that I'm excited to have. And for me, that is a pack of ramen and two eggs. Oh, wow. I've like every day after, and it's a very specific, it's the migoreng ramen. So it's not like soupy. It's like a dry, like uh, you mix, like you, you strain all the water, but migoreng, two sunny side up eggs. Wow. And by the way, that the macros of that are perfect. No, I know. And, and that, the salt from the ramen, salt, like, everything's yeah, perfect. Salt, protein, fat, fat like it, yeah. it's, it's money. And so like, it's a little decadent, but in that scenario, like I saw, I have, I keep the packs up there. Cause there are times that I indulge and like this morning I really wanted it, but I don't have an effort that's going to match eating that today. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just like, ah, it's a fucking wheat toast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but at Breck Epic, ramen, two sunny side up eggs, and a Coke. Wow, that's so. Because that that's my. Because then I'll go and I'll I'll get in the Norma text and then it's racer meeting and then a proper dinner. Right. The uh, I like that you framed that the way you did because just as a little a, a little detour here, when driving back yesterday from Durango, actually Pagosa Hot Springs. Um. I asked the guys, they were all in the van, and I asked them, I go, hey, knowing now what you know, 
is there anything you would have done differently like individually, like rider prep? You know, I wasn't quite asking for the comment box on the trip, mm-hmm. but like for you as individuals. And so they talked about like different shoes or different pedals because I didn't realize there was much hiking and one guy got a hot spot and it, different things. Um, and one thing that came up was food refills because they were on trail the whole time. And for us, for logistics, we stopped at grocery stores twice to do reloads because I have coolers full of cold stuff, you know? And they talked about food refills because they said, hey, what I packed was great, but I kind of wanted this. Or like one guy didn't realize Twizzlers was going to be his like his food to keep him going, his little mm-hmm. treats to keep him going. So we talked about having structured food refills, which next year will feature that. Yeah. And, and you can say, hey, do you want Twizzlers? Do you right, want gummy bears? You get to go yeah. into the store yeah. and you get yeah. to satisfy whatever your body is feeling. Yep. And that is very important because even if you have the greatest plan – you don't necessarily, like, I didn't know on the Baja that a pocket full of Mentos was going to be such a valuable asset <laughs> right. to me. Like chewy Mentos. For a guy that doesn't really eat Mentos. Don't eat fuck candy. Would you? Yeah. I want like a pocket full of Mentos. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. And so um, maybe even as a tip that's attached to what you said about what your decadent food is, is build in the time to say, hey, maybe I go to the store after stage two yeah. or three and go like, what does my body really want? You know, unfortunately, there's grocery stores all yeah. in Brexit, well, so you can do it. And to like the bigger overarching thing, when we shop, and we'll do it again this year, we meal plan. So I know what I'm eating for breakfast and dinner every day. And it's going to be the really high quality shit that I should be eating, right? Like, yeah. whatever that is. After I get that shopping list done, I then like put on the hat of the most stoned yeah, idiot, sweaty, idiot sweaty fat kid in the world. <laughs> and then like last year we didn't eat a lot of it, but we literally just bought a ton of stuff because you don't know what you want. So we had, you know, for better or for worse, we had Doritos, we had M&Ms, we had, you know, full strength Cokes. We had all the shit that is just, and I think to our credit, we had a lot of that left over. Mm-hmm. but eating gets so hard. Just get the whole range. Yeah. That that's, such a good t- and you know when you're when you're in the last like hour of that day's stage, that food can really pull Dude, you to the finish line. Thinking about a, a two pound bag of peanut M and M sitting at the condo, you're like, man, I cannot wait. Like to in get an there. hour, I'm gonna be in normal text eating these M and M's. I mean, you <laughs> totally. are not gonna eat these. Um, all right, recovery piece. Uh, you just said it. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be boring, How, but it's yeah. the same answer. How do you beat the normal text? You don't. I mean, they are they're expensive. If you ride a lot, if you train a lot, if you take your training seriously, if you, you have to take your recovery seriously, make the 900, 1200, whatever the fuck investment it costs to get Normatex because it will, it, it'll supercharge your next day and the day after and the day after. Let me, one of the things I think I do a decent job at is storytelling. <laughs> and in the key to a great story, oftentimes a great story can take care of itself if you have a great setting, right? Like, it wasn't hard for me to tell a good story about racing in the Alps when I'm in the freaking Alps, right? right? Like this, <laughs> totally. Hey, okay. Um, my single favorite part of the story of van life is that dusk hour or a little bit after dusk when I've eaten dinner and I've slipped into my Normatex and I've stretched out on my bed. I'm leaning up against the pillows. I've got my iPad mounted, Bluetooth into my speaker, and it doesn't matter what I'm watching. But I have, I'm not going to lie, I got a candle lit in the van because I like candles. You love candles. I love candles. I'm a candle guy. So I got a candle lit in the van. I got the lights turned down like half dim. 
I'm watching a show, I'm in my normal text, and I'm just just a a puddle of a person. Mm-hmm. And I'm letting the normal text do their thing. But what I'm doing is I'm just I'm just down I'm just downshifting mm-hmm. where I've been all day, whether it was training or racing or running an event or whatever it is. And I'm just in there and I'm melting into this experience, which is for me, I'm a level five guy when I'm intra-event because it's a good flush. Um, I don't want to go level seven because I don't want to do any damage. And so I'm a level five guy, 45 minutes. I'm not doing anything else. I'm like having that movie theater experience. Yep. And it's so critical to help me then move to the next most important, which is the most important, which is sleep. It helps me get there. Yeah, it's a good downshift. And so, yeah. boom, Normatex. Yeah. Normatex. CBD sleep pill. Yeah. My yeah. iPad. It's, it, it, all these things, like none of it's just cut and dry, but it is, there's a recipe, right? It's the Normatex. It's, uh, you know, the the Blue Sky. Their, their, C, their nighttime CBD is second to none. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it's, it's like, it, it, it's never just one piece, right? No, but it's that whole experience. And it, but it, without the normal text, the experience doesn't work. Like, right. Um, back to the Colorado trail. I just did it. So I had normal text for the guys. They all did them. Um, for some of the nights we had more campground space than we did in other nights. And after one of the smaller campground areas, I didn't set up the zero gravity loungers. And I was like, guys, just do the normal text in your cots. Mm-hmm. So now they're doing them laying down all of the amount of, Someone's like, can you bring me some water? Sorry, I can't get up. I'm in the Normatex, yeah. which is the best excuse yeah. of all time. <laughs> I've asked Abby for stuff all the time. I'm like, sorry, I'm in the Normatex. Right, right, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So um, those guys did Normatex every night. You know, we had two sets, and they're rotating yeah, through them, them around. Um, I didn't do a single Normatex session for those days. And I, I, I rode I rode, I had 26 hours. I didn't have as many hours as them because right. I was doing other stuff. But I like 26 or 28 hours. I did a lot of riding. Um, tons of elevation gain as well. So hard stuff. And one day I grabbed the Theragun yeah. and tried to like simulate a Normatech with the Theragun. My God, it's not the experience. Yeah. It's not the setting for the perfect story of recovery. No. So my Normatech, yeah. period. Yep. Yeah. And they're, like I said, they are expensive, but if you take care of them, they'll last as long as you need them to. Yeah. I don't see I, how. Would we buy ours like in 21? Yeah. I have. So if you do come on an excursion or come to the camps, we have them, but you can't go into them dirty. Like yeah, no, that's have, the rule. You got to wash yeah, up before yeah, you. You got to like, wash up before you get in them. So it's a low barrier for yeah, entry. Yeah, but and you put got some to. socks on. Yeah, like no one wants no one wants your hot feet at the bottom <laughs> so, of their Normatex, right? Like no matter how good you think your feet are, yeah. they aren't. I mean, luckily mine are mine, so I just fucking raw dog them. But you know, they're mine. But yeah, and it mines that mine are mine. When they're not mine, they're not mine. Yeah. So you just can't get into them dirty. All right, piece of bike gear. Oof. For Breck Epic. For Breck Epic. I got a lot of stuff about my bike that I like that it's I didn't experience this until last year. Um I did it right in nineteen. I did it right in twenty one or twenty two, whatever last year was. I just was unfortunate. Um my single most important piece of bike gear for Breck Epic is a very confident set of tires. I have to have super confident tires. I, that, the Colorado trail shreds tires. Um, the Colorado trail is full of loose and off camber and Rudy, and you don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm running a two, four front rear period. And I'm running a tire that's got more grip than I would run if I was doing a pure XC race. I'm running a confident, confident tire. Um, and I don't want to flat. And that's what I mean is last year I got a flat on day one. Yeah. 
Um, and went through 10 CO2s? <laughs> yeah, I went through like, honestly, no no exaggeration, like eight CO2s. Who, no one carries eight CO2s. So I had to beg borrow six additional and yeah. on top of the two that I had. And it was because I was riding behind Abby and watching her line and I had just hit a stupid rock yeah. and I wasn't paying attention. Um, but a confident, for me, it's a confident set of tires. Um, yeah. I love brakes, but if I skirt a little bit, if I'm going a little out of care, I can always handle the speed. Certain grips, this, that. Tires, dude. Yeah. A flat, if you're going to compete, a flat ruins every competition. Like, yeah. I don't care who you are. Like, you're the fastest plugger on the planet. Yeah. It's You just watch. I mean, I I had a, a race earlier this year down here in Castle Rock where I fell, I think, to – it was my first Cat 2 race, and I fell – started out hot, top three – and the really fast guys took off on the first climb. I fell to seventh um, and was like clawing back sixth, who happened to be a teammate. Um, and so it was turning into like kind of a cool team story and like this whole th- and I got a flat and that was just it. Good. Like and, and at the time I wasn't plugging. I plug now. Right. So instead of clawing back to sixth and having a really positive like mid mid pack finish first race out at Cat Two, uh, I finished last in our category because of a flat. Yeah. I, and I fixed it fucking flat fast. Like, yeah. but you just there's you there's no fast flat fix. We had a guy <laughs> um, on day seven. We had a big day, and he had a little bit of anxiety about weather. By the way, we had no weather the whole trip, which I wasn't in control of that. But I'm gonna take the win. Right and. Uh, so he got an early start, and his early start really didn't help him so much at the end because he ended up uh, flatting. He broke the, breaking the spoke, which envy wheels with the internal. You break a spoke, and you're in a world of hurt because you're always pushing through the tape. Yep. And uh, you know I know they have the rim strips on how it operates there, but you're in a bad way. And for him, and this is like a little tip, his little nut on the valve. Mm. First tubeless setup was so tight, couldn't get it off. I've had that. Can't get it off. Can't get the valve out. Can't get the valve out. Can't put can't, a tube can't in. Can't put a tube in. So he ends up hiking for four miles. Oh! Now he started about an hour and a half before me, and uh, I started at the back with Brooks, and we rolled through the rest of the field, and we ended up catching him, and he had been walking for for quite a while and couldn't get the valve out, and so. We end up, Nolan and I, you know, we couldn't get the valve. I'm using two rocks as like pinchers. Trying to like fabricate you know, pliers on the trail. Just couldn't, what we ended up having to do was removing the tire and then using a tool to pry off the rubber on to the like back side the, of the valve. And then pull it out the and other way. And then stick a uh, two mil in the back of the valve and then no one's banging on it with a rock because I'm pulling the valve out. So like, you do that in a race. Yeah. Like, see yeah. how you finish. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I want my tires to stay intact. I will lose a front brake. I'll lose a rear brake. I'll lose a seat. Yeah. I, I, All I those things you can keep rolling. Tires, man. Yeah. For me, that's it. Um, new, mine is in the same vein. I, I, I've never been scared of running good tires. Like I ran 2.4 Pirellis last year. Um, but a big new one for me on my cross-country bike was inserts. Yeah. That's mine for this year. I didn't understand the confidence that inserts tire inserts um were gonna bring to my willingness to like send it a little harder not not like let's be real i'm not gapping jumps i'm not like you know 
I am, and you should, because it's easier to fly <laughs> over hard stuff than to ride through it. Um, we'll talk about that later. But, um, yeah, switching to tire inserts, switching to plugs and switching to tire inserts. And the tire inserts that I picked uh, are the new Vittoria Airliner lights, the new ones, not the pool noodles where you cut them and you zip time. These are brand, brand new ones. Can you exp- – a guy on the CT trip had – he got those per your guys' recommendation. You guys put them in for him, and he had no idea um, – how they worked. And then he was like, holy crap, that's yeah. what they do? So um, I don't understand the full science behind it. but So first of all, they're 50 grams per insert. Um, that's really stinking light for a tire insert. Yeah, because I'm running Tannis. Which are, they're great inserts. And I'm super confident in them. And, I haven't had problems. I'm, I'm and they're, but there's a, those are 160 grams per insert, which is still a pair of Tannis weighs what one – Kushcore Pro ways, not Kushcore XC. I don't know what those weigh. So Tannis is still super light, still works awesome. It's still, like the weight of a tube or something, right? What's a Tannis? Uh, I mean, uh, they're 160 grams. I don't know what a tube weighs, but the Vittori's are 50 grams. Um, they're solid, which Tannis. My only like drawback on Tannis is that it's got that big void, and so you tend to have to run more tire sealant. Right. Um, but the Vittoria is, it's a solid, uh, it looks like a, a scaled down cush core almost. If you've seen one of those two things pushed me over the edge. One, the weight when it's 50 grams, hundred grams total to, to have inserts and have that confidence to run them front and rear. Um, that's easy math. But without understanding what you're about to say next, a really light insert to me, then you go, well, does it do the job of the insert? Right. Cause I like the insert has a job to do, you know, like mm-hmm. my Kushcore pro mm-hmm. on my, my big bike mm-hmm. is way more effective than my Kushcore XC was that I used to run right. on performance and all kinds of things. So at a point it's like, does it get so light that, well, then what am I running it for? Because it's so light. Is it even doing anything? Well, it and I fills, think that's the next piece. It fills the tire. Um, and so it, it remains a size. And, and, and so it, it inside of a two point, so I'm running 2.35 Vittoria tires um, just because I, I can't wear Nike isn't and Adidas apparel at yeah, the same time. Like if I'm running Vittoria inserts, I got to run Vittoria tires. I watch the guy, he's got Nikes on and like Adidas shorts. I'm just like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you, like, I get shopping at outlets, bro, but like separate. The only time you can do it with like off, like you, I think you could do like. Like a Lululemon. Right. With. Yeah. A pair of Nikes. Yeah, it's fine. Totally works. Right. But you can't do like Puma or Reebok or Nike or undo. Anyway, so I'm running 2.35 Barzo front, Mescal rear. Um, it fills that that cavity pretty well in its just out of the box state. Like it's a it's a good fill. Um, I am running 23 millimeter wide uh, XC wheels, so like you know it's not like I have this. Big old you know, 30 rim. A 30 rim or something, which they say you can run it, um, and I believe them. Uh, but it, it sits down in the the rim floor really nicely. It supports the tire really well. My inclination is that for the kind of – kind of, it's not supposed to compete with a Cushcore Pro, right? You're right. not going to put it on a 170-millimeter travel bike with 2.5 tires that you want to send super hard. It's purpose-built for cross-country, trail – big air quotes, down country bullshit, whatever. Um, so for me, I've got my tire pressure down 
17 in the front, 18 in the back. Um, no tire roll, so it's supporting the tire the way a cush core or anything else is supposed to. Um, so it's light. It performs exceptionally well. I've got enough rides on them right now to feel really good about it. Um, traction is awesome, running tire pressure down that low. Um, and I was, everybody, when they talk about their tire pressure, they talk about what they weigh. I have no idea, so don't ask. Um, but um, the, another really huge thing that has prevented me from running tire inserts has been on trail flats. Like, what do you do? Um, now that I'm of the mindset that I'm going to plug rather than replace a, an inner tube, okay, that problem solved. But the Vittoria, when you get a puncture and it's no longer has pressure, like air pressure pushing on it, it expands to fill the tire. So you effectively get a run flat. Yeah, and that doesn't even really. That's like some some Jetsons. I mean, that is some some voodoo voodoo magic. I mean, Audi badass um, tech. So I mean, could you do it for the whole stage if you got a flat at the beginning? No, probably not. But if you had five to ten miles, how about me in first place, uh, stage three in Colombia at the Guerrero Guan flat, and (laughs) everyone in in the last three and a half miles, you wouldn't. You would have just kept going. Oh. I mean, I'm over it. So, um, I'm sure the Vittoria website explains it much better than I did. But yeah, like they, they once they once the tire loses pressure, the the something it somehow expands to fill the the cavity even more. Wow. Um, I don't actually understand all the science behind it, um, and I don't understand if it's actual just marketing gobbledygook. But their claim to fame is that um, one of the UCI World Cup racers finished two laps of a pretty technical course on a, a punctured tire with the Vittoria inserts. So uh, specifically Vittoria inserts for me for, to your point, super hard backcountry, burly, like we've, we've beat the horse to death um, about how Breck Epic is not uh, terrain wise an easy race. You know, and, and to his credit as well, Mike, beats people over the head with no, that I mean, throughout the event before the event He's yeah like, guys don't bring your suit like yeah. if you're bringing in the s-works fast tracks like yeah, that's the wrong, tire. the wrong tire i mean my bike has changed you know from the first part of my year where i was basically re- racing xco for all intents and purposes right like uh the bear fangdango uh the short track out at mag gravel you know we were focusing on these hour and a half ish efforts uh or less you know, my bike has gained weight going into to Breck Epic. I've got bigger tires, longer dropper post, uh, tire inserts. Like having a 22 pound bike at Breck Epic is of questionable merit. Yeah, you know, and also, uh, I will say, you know, the the guys that are racing the pro open field solo in the top five, totally different discussion that are that are racing for this and that. But one of them is going to be Nolan, and Nolan and I had the conversation that stage five, he goes, do I run? Because he did the Colorado Trail on his Revel on his big bike and against his Scott Spark race bike, right? And he goes, do I do stage five on my Revel? Because there's like a a spot where, boy, I can make up a lot of time descending off a wheeler. And yes, I ride up most of wheeler, but that very top part, like there's not a real big difference. You're on and off the bike, whatever. So 
He's like, do I ride the big bike? Is the big bike faster? So even the guys at the very top, yeah. performance matters, confidence in your machine matters more than maybe a half a pound or a pound. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And wheelers, I mean, that's one of those days I was like, do I bring a, a spare set of wheels with like a more aggressive tire? Like I've had that thought. I think what you're learning and what you're doing is your two, three fives with your inserts, trust it. Yeah. Well, and we, again, we pre-wrote a, you know, we did one of the best downhills in the race. And I would argue in that part of Colorado is um, the Colorado trail descent off the top of that big Colorado trail climb. Yep. Um, Basically coming off the top of Georgia Pass. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's an eight-mile downhill. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's chunk at it's, the bottom. It's chunky, and but it's – if you – that was the – Colin drops me on downhills. Right. Colin's an amazing descender. But I had enough confidence in my equipment that for the first four miles of that downhill, I was right with him. Yeah, yeah they built – you know, I've, I've been running an insert in my rear – quite a while now and the confidence it gives you and you know a lot of it is just that like our bikes can do a lot more than we allow them to do yeah like we limit them more than anything yeah and so if, if we can do a little shift for you a 50 gram shift to let you do let the bike do its job for you then you know rock and roll so yeah, yeah. um we both are in the same area like you don't want a flat <laughs> no no so all right guys well uh, we will see you on the backside of Breck. That was supposed to be like three different episodes, and it turned into one long one. Like I said, man, we had a, I had a pour over to start with three shots. Now I just have to do a full day of work. Yeah, no big deal. And uh, <laughs> at least I'm done cleaning, but uh, on to the next adventure, which is a shuttle this weekend. Some guys are doing uh, the Kenosha to Breck section of the CT of the Colorado Trail. And uh, booked the, the van for a shuttle ride back up to They're going to get to do the downhill. What's up? They get to do that downhill. They get to do the downhill you just talked about. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all driving to Kenosha, and then they'll finish, and they're like, we want time to get a couple of beers in Breck and then have you shuttle us back up to our cars. I was like, yeah, no big deal. Okay, done. Perfect. So I'll see you in Breck. So, yeah, they got a private shuttle booked for the weekend, and uh, I'm ready to prep for that. That's so dope. All right, guys. Well, we will see you after Breck with uh, another uh, Breck recap. <laughs> <laughs> see ya. Thanks, guys. You're weak, you're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak, you're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak, you're done!